this is Daniel. And this is Jean. This is a Philippine X podcast to magically disappoint your parents. We're here. We're here on a Friday. It's like our part-time job, but the one that we like. (laughs) I mean, honestly, truly. Yes. I guess it just feels like that in the summer. So, um, Daniel, can you tell us what kind of fan mail announcements came in to the inbox? Yeah. So, Jean shared us like so many exciting news. Um, So... We have uh, two wonderful fan mails for uh, for today to share with you all. Um, so the first one, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, like fan personing because I love this person. So Grace Talusan, the author of um, the Body Papers, um, sent us like a message, and mm-hmm. it just like, ooh, oh my god, I'm so kilig. Okay, here's what Grace said. Um, I've come to your amazing podcast late and just started listening. Um, I love what you are doing. Your friendship and connection with each other comes through and makes it possible for you to look at and talk about important important and difficult material. And I'm like, okay. Um, congratulations <laughs> on three seasons. And this is the part that like gets me because she also says, and thank you, Daniel. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> um, for reading my memoir and shouting it out. I will recommend your podcast to my students and others. If I was in college again and actively exploring who I am, I would have loved your podcast and found it good company. Oh my God, Jean, what so, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> it pays to read, everybody. That's the moral of the story. Yes. Um, and uh, no, I could, I could like truly, truly shout out um, Grace Toulouson's book all over again because it's like it, was like a shock to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want a shock, you better read her book. Um, <laughs> the second um, fan mail is from Mary Toulouson. And then, um, Jean, could you explain to us who Mary Toulouson is? So Mary Toulouson, uh, they're sisters in academia, Grace and Mary. Um, so yeah, we got the uh, 411 early about uh, Mary's news. So- yes, um, so for, uh, for Mary, be on the lookout for her book, Instruments of Empire, Filipino Musicians, Black Soldiers, and Military Band Music coming out in September. That's in, what, three, four months, y'all? Yes, close. It's close. Um, we are so excited for this book. Uh, we can put it in the show notes. Um, so it'll be easy for anyone to pre-order. You know what? You might as well buy Grace Solusan's book too. Yeah. Just give, throw your money at them, please. We need more literature sister, out there. Sister. Yes. Oh, if only all our siblings could <laughs> be writing um, things for uh, our cultural narrative. So um, if today is a special day. Daniel knows it. Uh, we have lurking in the shadows a special guest. So Yay. I just want to preface this today. So it's hard to meet new friends in the virtual space, especially during <laughs> this year in quarantine. We're still in it, y'all. I know some of us are vaccinated, but we're still in it. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet our guest today, um, Kat Aben, on Zoom. Um, we're, we're both invited to an academic Philippinex uh, meetup organized by friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Constanzo Arnaldo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he seems to be a resurfacing figure in the background here of BB. Um, so we're so fortunate that all of you, our listeners, get to know about our mysteriously awesome person. Um, Kat is an archaeologist, first one on our show, probably for a while. And today we get to explore what that looks like and means for our community um, with her research. So welcome, Kat. Welcome, Kat. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm honored to join your show. Yes, on a Friday night. You know, it's really a, a huge time commitment. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Daniel, kick off our show. What's 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 good? Oh, oh, wait. Okay. Do we should I start or should we mm-hmm. let Kat start? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Cat, okay. um, how are you doing? What's <laughs> up? <laughs> Um, I guess I'm good. I mean, I get to join your awesome show tonight and talk a little bit about archaeology. So it's a, you know, starting off to be a really great Friday and, you know, weekend. Yes. 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 <laughs> Feeling honored. Feeling honored. Okay. So it is now my summer break. So I've just Yay. been like basking in that like well-needed summertime. Um, I'm also relearning how to get back to things that I love doing and that like mm-hmm. that calms me down. Um, which is like different forms of art. Um, I recently received an embroidery kit. Um, I sent Jean and Nicole a picture of it. And like, it, yeah. I, I'm so proud of it. You're pro level, pro level embroidery. I don't know how you did it in a day. Um, I, I on, on the notes, I put like, I, I'm about to finish one design, but I already finished that design and I'm starting a second one today. Dang. Um, <laughs> I took out my keyboard after like months of like not playing it and I started kind of just like tinkering with some Beethoven. Um, I've started prepping some like watercolor postcards because whenever I go travel, I just send postcards to like people. Um, I've also started experimenting with foods I haven't ever made. And uh, Jean and Nicole were my, Mm -hmm. um, were my, were my (laughs) test tasters. Um, I made polvoron. (laughs) Fresh polvoron cat. Have you ever had that in your life? Still, I want one. Yeah, you should. You know, the next time we have like a Philippine X get together, I'll just like go full on. Yes. Yes. Pulveron for everyone. Um, Sounds good. And then I have a story with that too, but that's for a later episode. Um, <laughs> and lastly, I rediscovered a, uh, yeah, rediscovered a Korean variety show that I used to watch in college. It's called Running Man. Um, it's just like seven hosts that are all, all kind of just like, playing pranks on each other mm-hmm. and like playing like tag and like uh like chasing games like it's so mischievous and hilarious but also like so joyful it's just like yeah this this is the life why can't yeah. it this why can't it be like this all year hey you are manifesting joy for sure um yes. i i want to be on whatever summer program you're on daniel which is really great <laughs> like just just being festive and like truly taking care of yourself before the school year starts because you have a double whammy job now as also the librarian of your school congratulations oh, yeah. again wow um yeah huge huge first librarian too yes uh well i would be like the first official librarian <laughs> Hey, awesome. I mean, the history's congrats. made here. <laughs> yeah, huge, huge congrats to you. Um, so just a uh, quick update on me. I'm back in the classroom teaching comics at um, elementary and middle schools. Um, I, I'll admit that I'm really rusty, um, but it's really nice to see kids drawn right again. Um, you know, that isn't the drudgery of sometimes schoolwork. Um, so when we talk about their favorite things, they typically now just draw like YouTube, TikTok, and Netflix. And so um, the visual medium is seeming to win at this point. So it's a little worrisome because I miss people who just say they read. Um, but, you know, um, maybe we can turn the tide again and reading's cool. I'm, I'm optimistic, but um, that's just my update on my end. As a, as a, um, a librarian, 
yes, reading is cool. <laughs> <laughs> you get to meet people like uh, Grace T- Talusa. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your updates, everyone. So um, now we are going to uh, dive, dive in with Kat. I will, I will start. Okay. So Kat, <laughs> question number one. <laughs> Okay. Um, so what do you do? What do people think you do? And what do you want people to think you do? <laughs> I know it's like okay. super layered, but. <laughs> yeah, uh, these are big questions. Um, so for most people, they think that as an archaeologist, um, because of, you know, popular you know, films and media that I'm like, you know, running away from boulders and like, (laughs) (laughs) and like trying to, you know, disable booby traps and, you know, I don't know, like punching out Nazis. I don't know. I'm not Indiana Jones, disclaimer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But what I really do, I mean, as an archaeologist, and if for people who don't know what archaeology is, it is the study of uh, human, um, behavior, practices um, through material culture. So these are like artifacts, buildings, things that leave a material trace in the environment. Mm. And we're able to study um, like changes and patterns in social, economic, and political, um, you know, uh, yeah, just patterns over time. And so we're able to study people in the past through these things that leave a mark in the environment, like objects or buildings or spaces and how we use those around us um, in order for people in the present to get a better understanding of how we came to where we are today. And so when I talk about an artifact, I'm really talking about an object, a man-made object um, that people use, you know, as we carry on, you know, in our everyday life. Um, You know, like your phone is an artifact. In 50 years, it'll be an artifact, which is our standard um for what is considered old um you know so everything that you see around you that's going to be an artifact one day when we're all much older um so that's generally what archaeologists do and so as a federal archaeologist now um in my job um i take those ideas but then i apply it in terms of trying to um help to identify and protect um cultural resources on federal land from any proposed development that's being authorized on any kind of federal property. And so, you know, it's not as exciting as like, you know, booby traps (laughs) away from boulders. Um, But it's a really cool way of trying to apply um, the things that I've learned as an archaeologist mm-hmm. in my graduate school um, into the everyday practice of things, of things that happen every day in terms of all of the construction that's hap- happening around the Las Vegas Valley, um, all these huge, you know, solar projects that's being developed, um, you know, wind energy projects, um, uh, what else, transmission lines, roads, building, building development, all of that. We're trying to make sure that whatever happens on federal property, um, we are identifying, reporting, and then also trying to um, mitigate the effects of those proposed actions um, on cultural resources. 
So. Wow. Wow. I mean, you just dropped a lot. Like, I mean, I, I think as an everyday, like, so there's two things I just gathered here, right? Like you and your role, you're bringing in like a, kind of a Filipino lens too. Um, and I think about just our community and how perhaps we don't even think twice about federal property, like in that mm-hmm. way. Um, Dan, did you want to ask a question about? Oh, well, I was going to ask about like, when Kat was talking about artifacts, like I could, I, the only things I could think about, like when, when she said like a cell phone is an artifact, I'm like, okay. And then when she brought up like federal lands, I was like, well, what could be an artifact within mm-hmm. a federal land? Like I had a hard a time question. kind of understanding. Yeah, sorry. I, I have a tendency of just like, throwing out terms and I forget that I don't talk to like that's totally fine (laughs) um so to bring it back like an artifact really is anything um that is man-made or affected by any kind of um, human practices like when you take a stick it's a natural object but then when you skewer a piece of meat with it because you're going to cook something it then becomes an artifact because it's then used in human practices it's not just natural anymore um so generally that's what an artifact is, but within like the federal context of how we define an artifact, that is something that is 50 years old, at least 50 years old, basically. Wow. It's good to know that there's so, kind of an age, like an age. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so everything will become an artifact and for federal property or federal land, I mean, the old things that you see there that kind of just look like trash, um, there's a good chance that it might be an artifact, so I would recommend not picking it up and because it might be an archaeological site. So oh. it could even be like an old bottle, you know. Dang. But then something Yeah, so don't pick up old bottles. <laughs> no. Um, but it could even also be something older, like uh, an arrowhead, you know? Like that's really oh. old. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I, I just love that you brought all this stuff up because um, we these are just everyday things that perhaps we just take for granted all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I hope our listeners realize like how much our minds are pretty much exploding at everyday things being important. But um, how did you arrive at this profession? Um, so to, to, for me to have become an archaeologist or even the beginning of this, it's really funny because I actually started out in nursing school. Wow, wait, take a pause, y'all. <laughs> wait, wait. Wait a minute. <laughs> Um, for any of our listeners whose story begins at nursing school, it's yeah. okay. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, a lot of, like a lot of other Filipino kids in their early 20s, I started out in nursing school because that was something that, um, you know, a lot of my family members, they're health professionals, um, and that was kind of like the career I was pushed towards initially. But within nursing school at Howard University in DC, anthropology was actually a required course. Mm-hmm. Um, and my professor for that class, Dr. Uh, Eleanor King, amazing, amazing professor, great mentor, just overall awesome human being. Um, she was offering a free archeology span um, field school in New Mexico that summer um, between nursing school year one and nursing school year two. Um, And I didn't know it then, but that was a really big deal in the field of archaeology that she was paying for her students to go. That's huge. Like, that's that's huge. You know, especially for a lot of students who, like, from racial and ethnic, you know, backgrounds or whatever, and you don't have that much money, um, that is um, a large hurdle that usually prevents a lot of people from pursuing other kinds of careers. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. So I went to... um, 
this field school in New Mexico. And when I say field school, it's really um, kind of like a program where you learn fundamental archaeological methods in identifying mm -hmm. um, cultural sites. Um, so I went there and I was documenting um, battle sites, essentially, in the late 1800s um, between the U.S. cavalry and the forced relocation of Native Americans at that time. Mm -hmm. And so we were documenting essentially these cultural sites, these battles between the government and these, you know, Apache groups that refused to be moved, rightly yeah. so, right? And we were also working with descendant communities, you know, other Native American members who, whose history that was. Yeah. And so at that point in time, that was so different from anything that I knew. Sure. And that also showed me a different way of helping people. That's not something that you would usually think of yeah. helping someone else document their history that um, I just fell in love with it. And I've never looked back since. That's well, really I mean, basically how I got into it. Just goosebumps. I mean, like just some keywords and probably we'll dive deep in, in later in this conversation, but you said a she, right? So like a mentor, right? Like um, mm -hmm. who's a woman like that is, that's kind of like that creating access there. And then you, I always, I think about like professions like yours that um, you're in spaces that generations or community, our entire communities have never stepped foot on, you know? Um, yeah, that is so rare, so rare. Um, and really kudos to your mentor at the time for just disrupting like your college journey in that sense. Um, My mom was not happy, by the way. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, you're more than welcome to, uh, to, to um, you know, share about that. Because it's, and that is very, that's a very relatable theme in everything that Bruja Badis does, right? Is the, the parents being disappointed in a sense, that, like, what are you doing? Um, you know, um, being innovative with where you go and what you do. So, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it was very tough for, like, if you wanted to share about that. Um, I mean, like, just touching on what you've said, too, I mean, <laughs> it's, when you're pursuing something that is not traditionally set out for you, for your parents, I mean, for Filipino parents, right? Mm -hmm. It's like doctor, nurse, um, <laughs> I guess like business person, engineer, I don't know. Like these are the things that our parents know can lead to a good life yeah. in the U.S. And these are all lessons of love because mm -hmm. they want us to do well, right, right with our future. Right. But then you take yourself out of that timeline that they've laid out for you. And it freaks them out. It really like, does. you're totally freaked out. And they're like, what are you doing? You're ruining your life. Mm -hmm. So me changing my major. Um, so I'm a, nursing, I'm a nursing school dropout. But then I changed my major into archaeology. That was like my way of really trying to create my own life for the first right. time as an adult. And that's hard for Filipino kids because yeah. we're so mm -hmm. family oriented. So there's a lot of cultural factors that come into play when pursuing something like that. And it doesn't have to be just archaeology. I mean, it could, you know, it could be being an artist, being a writer. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you got to live your life and, you know, do what you need to do in order to be happy, not live your life for someone else. Right. And like, mm -hmm. I mean, for whoever listener, I mean, whatever field they choose here, that's, that's just huge because you're on the other side of this right now um, in terms, I mean, there may or may not be somebody who's like, yeah, you know what, actually, I always was, 
I'm interested in archaeology, and I actually want to pursue something in anthropology, and just never seeing that visibility, so just you alone, um, you know, I don't mean to uh, really toot your horn here, but, like, that's huge, you know, I, there's mm-hmm. somebody out here who's going to listen to this and be like, okay, if Kat can, um, now I know somebody who can, and maybe I'll, I'll hit her <laughs> You know? Yeah, hit me up. I will try to help whoever wants to get into the field of archaeology. I mean, right, yeah. right. Using um, as a resource. <laughs> um, so, I mean, okay, so, you, you know, you've been in this program, and so I'm sure you've probably seen or not seen people like you who are also of the Filipino um, community. So how does someone from our community break into archaeology? Ooh. Oh, man. I'm still trying to figure this out so I can tell people. <laughs> That's valid. That's valid. I mean, it shouldn't be on just you to uh, <laughs> unlock the um, game. <laughs> like I will, I will help, you know, I'll, I'll give a helping hand. I will, you know, give some resources, but you know, this was, I don't even know. I'm trying to think on my journey now. And like, it was almost like, um, not a stroke of luck, but it was almost like, if that hadn't happened with the field school and that was, you know, also like financially accessible for someone like me, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have happened. It would have never have happened. I would be a nurse right now. Right. And I probably would have like hated my life. Right. So, I mean, I'm learning and for everyone else, I'm learning that timing is everything in the things yeah. that you say yes to. Um, but are you one of, I mean, how many other Filipinos have you met um, so far to dial it back to that question? Sure. Um, so, so get this, aside from myself, I have only met one other Filipino American archeologist in the entire time I have, I've started my career. So this wow. has been since 2008, which kind of like dates me a bit, but yeah, we'll just yeah. ignore that. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. And so really, I mean, to get into the field of archeology span as a Filipino American, um, generally, be brave enough to dream and to take action and making your dreams as a reality and find great mentorship mm-hmm. um, to help support you in your journey because it's so hard as you know a minority student trying to mm-hmm. pursue this other discipline that you don't even know where it's going to take you sometimes yeah Dan, do you have a question? Sorry. Yeah, I do have like a side question and I'm sorry that I'm like raising my hand. It's just like- You're so polite. I love you so much. It's the studious uh, side of me. (laughs) Um, um, So one of the things that like I've talked to like many like professors and also many people, many like Philippinex people in academia is um, this idea of like gatekeeping. we're, um, I was talking to someone about um, like librarianship like, um, and how librarianship in itself is very like white centric. Um, yeah. When you were forging your path um, as a, a Filipino, uh, Filipinex archeologist, did you um, feel some sense that there was some kind of gatekeeping happening? I, when I, so when I was, when that was all happening for me in my undergrad, I didn't realize it then, but as an older person having gone through other grad programs since then, I see it now. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, 
it's such an important thing to think about of who are the gatekeepers for you and how do you also serve to be a gatekeeper for someone else mm. as the next generation moves on. That's huge. Um, and so, I mean, I didn't realize it then, but those mentors that I had in my undergrad that made that year so bearable of nursing by helping me flourish as this fledgling unofficial archaeologist, like, you know, um, I'm going to just like say their names because they, yeah, absolutely. you know, they deserve it. Dr. Eleanor King, Dr. Flor Delise Bugarin, Dr. You know, Mark Mack. I mean, they really helped me to realize that dream and gave me the, the fundamentals of trying to get to that dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm his mentors. I mean, thank you for not um celebrating your, you know, your sense of tokenism, right? Being one of rare because you could have been like me and only me, you know. Um, but um I think that's that's so true. You know, microaggressions is kind of a, a very recent term. And so mm-hmm. a lot of us have just been enduring it for a long time. And so um that's a really good point. Uh that even despite not having the term and moving through life that we are showing up today and showing up um, tomorrow. So um, yeah, that is, wow. Just really thinking about it. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So next question. um, What was graduate school like for you and your body of research and where did you find community and mentorship? Um, So Okay, so after undergrad, just a quick recap, um, I did get my master's in applied anthropology in 2013 from University of Maryland, and then I went into my PhD program in the Department of Anthropology at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, which I'm, you know, still in as I'm mm-hmm. working, finishing up my dissertation, um, and with that, I'm focusing on um, uh, early 20th century um, Filipino-American um, uh, farm working households mm-hmm. um, in the San Joaquin County in California and looking at their food practices and how their experiences um, as, you know, uh, racial and ethnic minorities have shaped their um, experiences with uh, food. Um, so with grad school, um, you know, just being like an Asian, just in general, like an mm-hmm. Asian American in anthropology and then into the subdiscipline of archaeology, like what we were touching on before. I mean, these are fields that are, are mostly occupied by, you know, um, white people. I'm just going to say mm-hmm. that, <laughs> you enough. know, like historically too. And so there's, there weren't that many other Asian Americans that I met along the way, although I have met a few and they've been fantastic, but right. um, you know, like it, can be really lonely to be an Asian American in higher education, trying to pursue your research interests and then trying to mm-hmm. obtain the funding to even carrying out your your research. You know, that is such a struggle. And that can be a really, you know, in general, isolating experience for, for everyone who wants mm-hmm. to go into grad school. But I will say this, the silver lining of grad school in general is that you are really able to have the freedom to explore in its entirety everything that you're interested about. Mm. And for me coming out of nursing school and having fought so hard to pursue the career that I wanted to pursue, that was so exciting for me, honestly. Like I was around other archaeologists now, you know, I'm learning about all the things I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But then of course, you know, the, the logistics 
of carrying that out as well kind of impacts that dream, right? And then right. you also to make sure that you can still pay your rent, um, pay your bills. And so it's always been a juggling act of here's my dream. Mm -hmm. I want it so bad, but I got to deal with real life. Right. And that's, just, you know, the hard truth, I think, for, for grad school. Wow. Thank you for that real talk, because, you know, the whole, this it does come down to what our parents talk about, which is money. Um, mm -hmm. And but that is part of the reward, too, is just like, uh, I'll make it work. I'll just make it work. Damn it. Right. But yeah. You're the funding. Yeah. is kind you know, I also work on campus at UNLV and funding is always a hard mm -hmm. issue because there are tons of things that, you know, are are meant to be studied and explored and um, does a corporation or federal funding cover it? Uh, no, not really. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, you know, I, I know we know we touched upon a lot about being um, a Filipino in archaeology, but particularly yeah. this role of um, what is it like to be a Filipino archaeologist, right? We're talking about this San Joaquin uh, Valley. I've also s looked okay. you up and you uh, do a little bit of stuff about, um, well, not a little bit, but you cover also food and food insecurity. And so, um, yeah, what is that like for you? Um, so, wow. So two years ago, before I moved to Vegas, I actually was working on my dissertation research and I went there, I went to Stockton and I lived there for about wow. six weeks. And I was interviewing people, members of the descendant community, um, as well as um, doing archival research, look, trying to find documents, right? Because for me, as an archaeologist, to get to the point of Filipino-American archaeology, right, um, I have to start out with a historical anthropology-type project mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there is no Filipino-American archaeology. It doesn't exist. What? So I'm just going to say that again. Filipino-American archaeology does not exist. And so how do we make it exist? You know, like where are the objects, the places, the things, mm. so that we can make it into this discipline? Mm. And so for me, it, it was trying to start out with this initial stepping stone. Um, and I've met so many amazing, amazing, great people along the way of this descendant community in Stockton, like amazing. Um, learned so much about their um, experiences, um, being Filipino American, growing up, you know, during World War II and even afterwards and, um, you know, their struggles being part of this farm working community as migrant farm workers, um, whether you are, your parents are migrant farm workers, you know, or you're married to one and maybe you're helping out or maybe you're not, you know, like they, they had a particular set of challenges growing up and living as Filipino American in California. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm going into this community and mind you, I'm not part of this community. I'm from right. the East Coast. And so, you know, I had to be very mindful of that as well, of, you know, there's these commonalities that I have with these people, but, you know, you have to also tread lightly and be very sensitive to the fact that this is their place, these are their stories, mm -hmm. and that you're only just here um, to, you know, to, to listen and to learn. Yes, thank you for not being an intrusive type of researcher, uh, <laughs> but it, it does make me think, 
just, yeah, the, just a lack of resources uh, and access and, you know, you having to realize at that point to break ground on things. I remember I'm um, just, just making any type of um, Filipino or Philam history paper and just realizing when you go to the library, there's very few books at the time, you know, when I was um, going to university 10 years ago and it's just like, wow, like I, you know, sometimes I'm like, Sometimes I'm mm-hmm. when TikTokers are like, content creating is important, but really content creating is important in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some traces. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'm having a meta like or existential like crisis right now and <laughs> thinking about these things. Um, yeah, that was my question. Well, I want to add also that, you know, like having those kinds of archives um, of resources, of bodies of knowledge, that's, that's so important for anything in regards to Filipino American history, whether it's archeology span or something else, having those kinds of that, those kinds of resources available so that you can also um, try to push that forward into, you know, public knowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a difference, you know, I, when I said it, it was just like for our Filipino community, but you're right. Public knowledge, like everyone mm-hmm. can, should, and have access to it. Yeah. You know, this is like truly jamming with like the librarianship stuff that I'm, I've been like yeah. researching in. Um, and like, I never really thought about how like archives could be such a like wonderful resource for like archaeologists. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, that it like those are artifacts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're definitely artifacts. Um, and you can study books as artifacts or also just look at it as, as text and get that knowledge from from that way. But I mean, like what you know, for someone who doesn't excavate, because I, I don't have anything to excavate at the moment, like, those are the resources I have to rely on as a historical archaeologist, like different lines of evidence. So oral histories, mm-hmm. um, as well as archival records, and at least also with oral histories, um, as well as some museum objects, those are at least material remnants of the past for communities who are sometimes not represented in historical documents, you know? Mm. Um, So it's just another way I think of of being able to um, pull out uh, people's experiences um, if they are not, for people who are not traditionally um, represented in the archives sometimes, depending on the resource. I know that we uh, dived in a little bit about the challenge and triumphs. Are there there any more challenges or triumphs that you wanna like, um, explain uh, um, with us in your role, even as a federal archaeologist. Oh man, um, challenges or triumphs? I don't know. Um, <laughs> You're still living in it. You're still in the middle. <laughs> I'm still living it. I don't know. I'm still trying to think. I mean, I mean, honestly, just even getting a job as an archaeologist mm. is a triumph. Honestly. You know, while I'm working on my dissertation. I mean, this is how I'm like living my life. I mean, um, especially during the time of COVID, I mean, Mm -hmm. I got this job when things were not going well in the world. And so I'm just thankful to to at least be able to, to get to this point in my life where, you know, like, I don't have to worry as much about, um, you know, the things that we need to worry about for every day. Yeah, I mean, I am rooting for your survival because I need you <laughs> to keep existing. I don't mean to place burdens on you, Kat, but like that, um, I I look forward to the days that you extend your mentorship or um, or your or continue to see the findings that you have 
Honestly, uh, yes. friend Kat. Okay. Um, Kat, um, so do you have a message for our listeners when it comes to understanding the unwritten and untold stories of our people? Yeah, I want to say that your stories matter. Mm. Um, you know, like my story matters, you know, your story matters, your story matters, your mom's story matters, your Lola, your um, Lolo, your Tita, your, mm. you know, your Tito, like Kuya, Ate, like people that you don't think, you know, um, you generally don't think about in terms of like, okay, like, you know, what can I learn about that person, you know, mm. or, you know, not necessarily you, but maybe like the overall public, but all of our voices like should be heard. Like we're all, <laughs> all of our stories, like there's something to be taken out of our mm. experiences as first generation or, you know, like immigrants or, you know, or whatnot. And it's, it's so sad to me to think that some people don't think that their stories should be heard or that yeah. their stories, but it, theirs really does. Yeah. When I went to University of Maryland, I was doing my master's research, and it was more so about Filipino-American communities in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, I was interviewing one man who was um, a U.S. Navy steward in, like, the 50s or 60s. Mm. And when I was interviewing him in this McDonald's, um, he, he told me, like, I didn't think anyone cared. Wow. I, didn't, I don't know why people want to listen to me. And it broke my heart. Because honestly, like, we all matter, and we're all amazing. And I think that, you know, people should know Filipino-American history. And the only way to do that is for our voices to be interwoven into this larger, you know, um, story of Filipino mm -hmm. diaspora, Filipino immigration, and then also surviving and thriving in the U.S. Mm. Um, so that's really what I just want to tell everyone. Like, you're magical, and you matter. Thank you for bring, bringing it back. Tying a bow on the magic. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I like, I, you know, you remind our listeners and us hosts that, you know, we have been trained to play small um, and to, uh, this just reminds me of this, you know, my mom, like we were in this, we were in this small road in uh, downtown San Diego and she's just weaving past, like she's just, she's like being apologetic when she moves through the street. And I was thinking like, I have also been trained to just get out of people's way or be unseen. Um, so uh, thank you for that, uh, especially mm -hmm. for the archaeologists of tomorrow um, or the researchers of tomorrow. Uh, Daniel, do you have anything to say uh, to Kat before we move on to Rex? I just really appreciate the fact that, and not to like use like any puns, but <laughs> using all of the puns, um, <laughs> like that you are like allowing us and like, encouraging us to like excavate like our like mm. our talents and our like excavate like our our um like what we want mm -hmm. for like our own happiness like that's something that I feel like a lot of Filipinos tend to kind of just like and I get to bury mm. because <laughs> um like because we've been taught to do those things yeah right right um but we're all diamonds here we're all magical yes um thank you for being our <laughs> resident wordsmith Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Kat, what are your three recommendations? Okay. So I, these are more resources. <laughs> um, so for people who want to learn more about um, just like uh, 
theories of race. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is a fundamental primer. Oh, which one am I pointing? This is a fundamental <laughs> primer. Um, the Mismeasure of Man by Stephen Jay Gould. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of covers like the history of racial construction and what we mean about um, you know race as a social construct. Um, and then this is also the color of law. Um, so this is exploring how racial segregation has really shaped a lot of um, current neighborhoods within the U.S. Um, so that's one. Hold on, that's one. Ooh, I like it. I like it. I'm taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> Number one. And then um, I am an, antho an anthology of prose and verse by Herb Hamero. So I met him while I was in Stockton doing my research, and he's actually a member of the Central Valley chapter of the Philippine American National Historical Society. And so I was able to sit down with him and his siblings and, and talk about um, just generally, um, you know, life um, in the Delta. And so he was kind enough to give me his book, a copy mm. of his book about his experiences there. Yes, I love it. And then last but not least, um, Eating Asian America. So if you're interested yes. also in food history and culture, this is an awesome, awesome book. Um, so Eating Asian America and uh, by Robert G. Song Ku and Martin Menelanson and Anita Munner. So really great stuff. And that's Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, rounding it out to read, read, read. <laughs> I am researching something really quickly. I believe that um, Dr. Mark Padungpot's um, research is also in that last book. What? Eating Asian Shout American. Shout out to our colleague. Shout what? out. I got to look through this chapter now. Yeah, let's what? through that book. Um, wait, oh, yeah. Okay. Chapter nine. Yes. A Check out that chapter nine, y'all, but also read that entire book. <laughs> um. Thank you, Kat, for your uh, recs. Mm -hmm. um, they're now on my book list. <laughs> yes, same, same, same. And we'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, my three recs are, number one, embroidery. <laughs> um, okay. love it. It's, it's so Lola vibes, but it's so calming. <laughs> um, like, I'm the type of person who's very detail-oriented, so, like, it works mm -hmm. with, like, how I work. But also, now I understand how, like, my Lola is, like, so composed all the time. Mm. Cause like my Lola grandpa, would, yeah, Lola secrets. Like my 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 grandpa would always like nag about like whatever he wants to nag about, and she's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, patience, meticulousness, fashion. Thank you, grandma. Um, number two, soups. Um, in the summer, it Whoa, might be like hashtag. I, I know it might be hashtag unpopular opinion, but when you're like cooling off inside because it's like hell outside. Sometimes mm. the heat that you need is just like a bowl of soup. Mm. Um, I made tenola and I was just like, this is yeah, it. This is what I've been missing. <laughs> um, and also watching shows in a different language. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, um, like it's hard for me to like hear sometimes. Like I just get like, sometimes my mind is just like going so fast that like my ears are not like processing whatever. But, um, and I rely on captions so much or not captions, subtitles so much that like sometimes when we're watching something in a different language, like I'm hearing their language, I'm reading the language that I'm familiar with and I'm learning words and stuff. And I just, I don't know, watching Running Man, the Korean variety that I rediscovered, I was just like, let's get back into that Korean game. Yes. Like, I want to learn Korean again. <laughs> those are those are my, my three. 
Awesome. Um, so yeah, my recommendations there, um, just to give context to them, it's a combination of not being able to see my therapist as frequently, right? Cause I'm on a month to month, but also like just to really frame, um, creating as fun again. Cause usually being like an artist and stuff, it's just like Instagram. I feel, I feel the shackles of Instagram, like make art post there, make writing mm. post here, you know? So I was just like, okay, like, let me trade out um, social media posts for like my own journal prompts. So um, I'm going to, that's, that's some context. So number one on my Rexless um, journal prompts, um, list your top 10 stressors, right? Like mm-hmm. sometimes like our stressors just keep our, a soup in our head and they're just going back and forth. So I'm writing them down what your top 10 are and realizing how heavy you're carrying. Um, if you have less than 10, kudos to you. Uh, if you have more than 10, just keep writing them, you know, get them out of you. Um, my second recommendation is um, list your top 10 current joys. Um, so it's a great way to identify the things that like ground you, empower you, or even like just feel like your current network of people and resources that hold space for you, you know. Um, maybe it's not my brother, but maybe it's my mom, you know. So um, those are just good things to have and to look at. And again, 10 and 20 years, like when I'm out of like this funk, I can be like, hey, this artifact is um, serving me good. I came so far. <laughs> Um, just to tie a bow on Kat's interview today. And my last favorite recommendation, I'm a huge, huge fan of Daniel's Pulveron. Um, (laughs) um, Y'all like don't know if you haven't had fresh Pulveron, it's a game changer. Um, Because when I think about when I eat Pulveron, it's like, it's gone so far to get to me, right? Like from the Philippines, across the sea, like you know, mm-hmm. it's aged in time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's still good, right? Pulverone is Pulverone, but I hope Daniel, I'm putting this out there, uh, opens a bakery so I can like work for him and share his like yummy goodies because um, it's a game changer, um, fresh Pulverone. So yeah, that's me. Any last words from you, Kat, before we sign off out of here? Um, just, you know, thank you so much for having me. And I, I really want some of Daniel's Pulverone. <laughs> <laughs> we have investors <laughs> buying stock i'm gonna i'm just gonna make like a a whole batch and like make them look like goldilocks (laughs) insert them um i'll be with you uh doing gorilla drop-offs of uh pulveron um again so we're signing off on bruja baddies uh thank you again kat um this is jean this is daniel and this is kat and this is a filipino podcast to magically disappoint your parents Yeah!